Welcome to the Subtle Reformation Podcast. We're so glad that you can join us. I'm one of the hosts, Ben. And I'm Stephen. And we're really glad that you've joined us to listen to us muse about formation and what it means for who and how we can be in this world. Hello, hello. How are we doing? You doing good? Uh, yeah, for uh, sort of six six forty in the morning. Yeah, good, good. Well, um, for those who are listening, my name's Ben, and uh, the other voice you're hearing is Stephen, and we are gathering together this morning to have some time discussing a couple of topics. We're uh, doing a podcast, talking all about things, discipleship, spirituality, formation, and a whole bunch more. And so uh, today we're going to dive in, uh, kicking off our first episode by looking at this topic um, of renewal. So Stephen, first question for you to get us underway. What do you think it looks like for us in this season to experience personal renewal when we're in a season of anxiety, uncertainty, and fear? Hmm. It's kind of, um, a question that contains quite a few questions, but before I make any kind of comment, I've just realized what a fantastic voice you have for radio, Ben. Um, Thank you. Some would say my face is for radio as well, but I'll <laughs> oh, take the compliment. Un- that's unkind. You, you, you're reasonably handsome. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, obviously I've had a chance to see the question before. I mean, you haven't just sort of asked me and it's um, come to me out of the blue. I've had a, a couple of days to think about it. And I always um, tend to feel a little bit nervous around words like renewal um, and revival. I spent a, a couple of decades with the Assemblies of God in Australia, and then they became um, the Australian Christian Churches. And that, um, you know, that particular form of Pentecostalism and and Pentecostalism in general seems to be, um, I don't want to say obsessed, but certainly, and, and fixated is probably too strong a word as well, but but certainly quite attentive to this notion of um, renewal or revival. And when I was introduced to it, when I first became part of that uh, denominational um, community, uh, it always made me a little bit nervous and I wasn't quite sure why until it dawned on me that um, in order for something to be uh, revived, it, it needs to be dead. Uh, mm. So um, if, if we're talking about the need to to be renewed or the need to be revived, um, how did we die in the first place? Where did our, our sense of life go in the first place? So I've always been mindful of that you know i often think about uh you know one of the one of the ideas that comes out of a verse in revelation that is again quite popular in in those sorts of um sort of pentecostal charismatic communities is behold i stand at the door of your heart and i knock from revelation indeed a whole particular kind of theology is built on that um you know, some people would even go so far as to say, a lot of people would go so far as to say that's effectively and essentially the gospel, Jesus standing at the, the, the door of your heart, knocking, asking to be let in. Uh, 
but again, just being the slightly nervous person that I am, the context there is, um, you know, Jesus is actually knocking on the door of the hearts of people who are part of a church. And I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone ask the question, how does Jesus end up outside of the hearts of people in a church? Yeah. Do you understand what I'm, where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah. There's often that kind of more, it's an invitation into a relationship with Jesus. It's that whole, Jesus is knocking, will you let him in and let him be, you know, Lord of your heart uh, might be some of the terminology that's used. But so what you're saying is it's more, they're in the church already and Jesus is knocking on the hearts of those who would look like those who are already following him. Yeah, so so whenever... Certainly, when I was introduced to that um, that verse and that paradigm, um, I assumed that the audience were people who were not people of faith. But when you actually spend just a couple of minutes with the text and with the book, you realise, no, hang on, he's actually addressing um, a, a community of faith. And so I, I remember when I realised that, I thought, what? how did that happen? How did Jesus end up on the outside knocking on the door being asked to let back in? And then again, of course, you know, the context is it's the Laodicean church and um, the, the, the historical context, which you don't get from the text, you need to do a little bit of research. I mean, you can infer it from the text, but it's wealth. It's their, um, their, their addiction to wealth and their addiction to, um, uh, um, material comfortability that's taken well i was going to say taking the edge off of them but it's it's far more serious it's far more drastic than that it's not just taking the edge off of their um the, the practice of their faith but it's it's completely uh replaced the practice of their yeah. faith it's all about the pursuit of the pursuit of happiness and so um you know when when, when you combine that kind of line of thinking with the way in which um, uh, I, I want to call it the mindfulness industry or the, the um, you know, the contemplative industry, the way in which consumer culture has latched onto um, spirituality, they've latched onto, um, you know, contemplative practice. I mean, I, I remember the first time I, I walked into a bookstore and I saw those, um, you know, the mindfulness colouring books. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so you can purchase a product and then you can give it to your employees and encourage them to, you know, mindfully colour in. And um, hopefully that will have the same effect as any other narcotic um, practice. It will sort of numb people into just accepting their lot and you know the way in which gratitude has been appropriated is or just just be bloody thankful for what you've got yeah and when i look at the history of contemplative practice when i look at the the the, the history of formation it, it's not simply becoming a passive um it's not passively acquiescing to what is happening in the world um, contemplation and formation is actually about helping us to actually see, to actually see what is going on in the world, to see beyond the surface, to see beyond the spin. And, uh, and it's also about helping us 
make sure that our feet are firmly placed on a, on a solid foundation from which we can push off, as it were, and begin to respond to what is going on in the world. I think it was, um, don't quote me, but I think it might actually have been Teresa of Avila. Somebody asked her, you know, what is, what is more important? Is the action important? You know, the mission, the mission mm -hmm. of, of the church? Or is it contemplation? Is it a devotional life? Is it, you know, re retreating? Is it practicing silence? Is it, you know, prayer and, and scripture meditation? And of course, you know, Teresa um, whimsically and incredibly wisely responds with the most important is the word and. It's both of those things together. Yeah. So, you know, when, I, when I'm asked a question like, um, what does it look like to experience renewal? Um, I, I, I get really nervous because... Uh, we, I, I think it's really difficult for us to separate not just renewal, but anything from the consumer culture in which we find ourselves so deeply embedded. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard me, I'm sure you've heard me say this before. We talk about, you know, in churches, in, in Christian leadership, we talk about paying attention. We talk about spending time. We talk about investing in people. And those three statements are economic statements. They're, they're, they're transactional statements. Yeah. You don't, you don't invest in people, you invest in a portfolio. <laughs> so, so how do we actually, you know, how do we actually talk about renewal in a way that, you know, we're not talking about how do we make a product better? How do we, how do we make an organization or a corporation, you know, how do we refine it so it can produce even more? That's what's made me really hesitant to, to, to use this word yeah. renewal, to talk about renewal because we are just so unconsciously steeped in an economic way of being in the world. We could easily fall into the trap of, because, you know, we hear it in, in the context of the whole COVID conversation when things get back to normal. And you see those really interesting memes. Well, hang on, maybe this is an opportunity to question what is normal. Yeah, 100%. And I think, and I think formation um, has, you know, been, been captured and it has been, um, you know, ambushed and apprehended by, by, uh, by corporate economic concerns. And it too um, needs to be reconsidered in the light of some of those things. Yeah, no, that's good. And so I guess kind of hearing a little bit of what you're saying, part of your concern is like, if we think about this renewal idea, even personally, we're thinking potentially how can we make ourselves, so to, to personalize a little bit more, make ourselves better, you know, like how are we going to come out of this, you know, a better person? Um, or more effective or more, yeah, more efficient, which again are, are economic um, considerations. Yeah. So if you were to try and help, I guess, almost reframe this idea of renewal, hmm. you know, for lack of a better word, to try and reframe that word and maybe reclaim, um, I guess, a part of its history, what, what would be a better idea of this renewal kind of look like? I guess like personally or, or, you know, like if it's not about us being better and more efficient, what, what is it to actually be, I guess, you know, renewed? 
Look, at, at the risk of sounding more spiritual than I actually am, um, <laughs> two, two things come to mind. One is is Psalm 1. And, um, oh, and I forget the second thing. Look, it might come to me in a, in a Tourette's moment. I'll just kind of go, oh, it was that thing. So let me... Um, let me let me chat about Psalm one first. Uh, when I when I first um, uh, was introduced to Protestantism as a seventeen year old, um, you know myself and um, some some close uh, siblings and close friends, we all kind of came to faith over a over a three month period, um, roughly at the same time. And there was a fella um, who kind of became a bit of a mentor to me. And I remember visiting his home and he, he had uh, like an old bed sheet stuck up on the wall and he'd had a passage of scripture written on the bed sheet stuck up on the wall. It may actually have been Psalm 1. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. But I remember coming back from visiting him. He lived interstate. I remember coming back and writing Psalm 1 um, on a bed sheet and sticking it up on, on my, my bedroom wall. And reading it and memorizing it and uh, uh, you'll have to forgive me because I was given a a King James Bible when I first um, uh, uh, became a Christian. And um, yes, I kind of, when I recall verses, I recall them with the King James English, but it goes (laughs) something like, you know, Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, blessed is the person who stands in the, who doesn't stand. Anyway, go, you know, Council of the Ungodly. There's a whole bunch of things they don't do. I can't remember it real well. But what I do remember, it's, it's, it goes on to say, they will be like a tree planted by streams of living water and they will bear fruit in season. And that always stayed with me because, um, you know, trees and, you know, particularly the flower or the fruit bearing kind, there are times when they produce fruit and there are times when they don't. And when they're not bearing fruit, we, we, we tend not to stand around and go, oh, well, gee, what's wrong? <laughs> you know, why isn't, you know, why isn't, um, you know, why, why are there no apples in the middle of winter? Gee, that's really strange. Uh, maybe we need to diagnose what is the problem here. And if we, if we proceed from a mechanistic or a, a machine-like framework, um, you know, once you flick the switch, it's always on, it's always producing. But, and I'm going to use the word organic, and I'm really, um, I'm really hesitant about <laughs> using the word organic, because I find in conversations with people when they say things like, you know, I prefer an organic approach, seems to me, I don't know whether I'm being overly cynical here or not, Ben, feel free to correct me. When people say organic, it seems to me that what they're actually trying to say is don't tell me what to do. I want to do things on my own terms. Yeah. (laughs) I prefer something a little bit more organic. Uh, And I get that we react to a machine like metaphor, you know, the factory, the conveyor belt, the industrial. Uh, But I think when people use the language of, of organic systems, you know, like I'm just looking out my window at the tree, you know. Um, trees are incredibly structured systems. There is a lot going on in that, uh, in that little ecosystem in and of itself. Not the ecosystem that the tree finds itself in, but the tree itself is an ecosystem. And if, you know, 
one of the branches woke up one morning and said, oh, I don't really feel like, you know, I, you know, I want to have a coffee at a cafe and just reflect on my life. Like the system's going to fall apart. It's not going to work. Yeah. It's quite a demanding system. Um, it's demanding in that when it's time for you to produce fruit, you need to produce fruit. But it's also demanding in terms of, well, when it's time for you to rest and renew, you need to be pretty strict and you need to be pretty disciplined about it. Yeah. So, um, so I think uh, thinking about organic systems and the way that, uh, you know, the way that nature operates, it's, it's seasonal. Um, you know, there, there will be times where you will not be fruitful. And that's not a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's just a thing. It's a thing that happens. You know, there will, there will be times when you are fruitful and that's not a good thing or a bad thing. That's just the thing. It's the cycle of life. I, I, I recall, um, uh, I, I think it was, I think it was the, the Franciscan Richard Raw, and he was talking about a conversation he had with Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And apparently, I've, I mean, I've never met Archbishop Tutu, but apparently he's an incredibly up kind of guy. Like he's always positive. He seems like he's just constantly filled with energy. He seems like he never gets tired. Yeah, wow. And I think if I recall the story correctly, Richard Raw sort of said to him, "What? I mean, these, these, this is my paraphrase, right? Like, what's the deal? <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and Tutu says, I, I remember that um, I'm not the source of energy. I'm, you know, I'm a branch on the vine. I remember that it's, um, you know, it's not work that I'm doing. I'm participating in something that somebody else is doing at their bidding, at their behest. Yeah, wow. And it sort of speaks of that, um, like, like you, you know me, we've been, we've been friends for a long time. You know, I can be incredibly obsessed about doing a lot and I can drive myself into the ground. And one of the, the things that's been incredibly transformative is the prayer of St. Francis. It, it opens with, you know, make me a channel of your peace. And I can't say that phrase without thinking I am I'm like a gutter and, <laughs> uh, you know, or, a, or, a, or a, something that water travels through. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you call me and if there's something going on and you're like, hey, you know, Stephen, can you help? You know, my impulse is to be very machine-like and to go, yeah, of course, you know, you know sense of obligation, a sense of duty. Um, I, I try and think about all of the ways in which I can help you. My first impulse is not to go, okay, I'm a gutter, I'm, I'm a, a conduit between what God might want to do in Ben's life and Ben, you know, and then I sort of look up yeah. towards God and go, is anything coming down the pipe? Are you going to send anything down the pipe today? Um, or is my role not to contribute, not to, um, you know, do I go, look, no, Ben, I can't, I've got nothing um, for you today. Now, Again, we know each other. I'd find that really hard to say. Yeah, I was just thinking that would be a really difficult thing to say. No, I don't got anything for you, even though we're friends. But good luck. <laughs> yeah, and I, like I'm happy to sit here with you. I'm happy to be with you, but I'm not going to do anything. And like I, I, I feel almost foolish saying that because that almost, I mean, we know the sort of, the overly spiritual, the super spiritual people who are like that, you know, I only do what, I, what God tells me to do. 
and you know i only eat the breakfast cereal that god tells me to eat or i only use the toilet paper that god you know yeah yeah and and, and we just say well that's just stupid but the problem is that stupid behavior actually makes it difficult for us to see and experience that reality it, it, it is a question of going you know god do you want me to make a contribution here or not and saying no i'm not going to make a contribution i feel as though you know i i, I might even think of something really helpful that i've read or, mm. or like I, I might actually have a contribution to make but being able to hear and follow that impulse that says no just be silent just just be just bear witness to what is going on that's all i'm asking you to do right now given you know the consumptive stuff we talked about at the very beginning it is almost impossible to hear that that impulse let alone act on it because you know particularly for those of us who are employed in ministry roles you know when 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 someone asks for help to hear an impulse that says actually i don't want you to do anything i just want you to be present to this person you know we're thinking but what if this gets back to the boss you know what if the boss <laughs> finds yeah. out he didn't actually do anything or make a contribution so I, I wonder whether, you know, part of the, you know, part of the answer to the question, what does renewal look like? Um, I think about, um, and again, I, I'm just listening to myself talk and I, I feel like I'm sounding far more spiritual than I actually am in my day-to-day -day life. <laughs> um, you know, cause I'm going to quote another, another verse from the Bible. And I'm, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, such, I'm so filled with the word of God, Ben, it's just, a <laughs> But, but you know, again, it's probably familiar to a few people. Um, uh, you know, Romans chapter twelve: Do not be conformed, rather be transformed. And and when you kind of dig into the the original languages, the the sentiment there is: Do not be conformed to the systems and to the patterns and to the values of this world. You need to see them. You need to identify them. You need to unmask them. And then do not live that way, rather be transformed, live in the opposite direction. So being able to see that we are at, like our lives are largely lives of compulsion. We are compulsed to do things. You know, I'm, I'm in a paid ministry role, therefore I must be doing these things. You know, the, the economic pressures, the, 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 the pressures of expectation from others, the expectations that we have of ourselves real or perceived because sometimes they're not real expectations. We just perceive that they are and slavishly compulsively living out those expectations. Being able to see that I think is the first part of, you know, honest, um, you know, in a dictionary sense, renewal. Um, yeah. What am I doing and why am I doing these things? And at the end of the day, is it is it really important? So That's that would good. probably be my first, um, you know, and and a big part of that requires slowing down mm. and stopping. Um, and it, it, like you know, I'm I'm at home. I'm, you know, I'm fortunate at this point in time. I think what five weeks into lockdown. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it might be the start of week six at the moment. Yeah, start of week six. So, so I, I, um, 
I'm fortunate enough to have some work that I can do from home. And I'm aware that there are, you know, thousands, um, if not millions in Australia, let alone throughout the world, who don't have that luxury, who can't work from home. And so what that means is they, um, they don't have access to any kind of income. Um, again, fortunately, my partner, she is also able to work from home, which is why we're doing this podcast so early. Yeah. You there, mate? Yeah, I'm back. I don't know what happened. I lost you. Yeah, it's in my uh, in my Zoom window. The little um, connection um, icon went red. So um, I don't know whether that was you or me. I don't know either. That's okay. That happens. Cool. We still recording? Yeah, we're yep. still recording. Yes, I'm not sure. What What was the last thing you heard me say, mate? Um, you were talking about. It was about the systems and stuff. So just on the back end of Romans 12 and you talked about, you know, slowing down and, and people being, you being able to work from home, which is why we're recording the podcast early in the morning. Mm, yeah. So there's so much to do. There's so much that we need to attend to. If anything, the, the, the degree of productivity and efficiency expected of us and required from us has increased. And people almost feel guilty stopping and taking a break. And if we do stop, if we do take a break, um, often we're so tired, we're so exhausted, we just collapse. But trying to, I, I guess I'm, I'm avoiding saying the word Sabbath again, <laughs> because a lot of these words, they've just been appropriated by, late stage capitalism and, and, and redefined to mean things that I don't necessarily subscribe to. But I guess the, you know, the best way that I heard Sabbath described was I've, I've had a, a spiritual director for about 15 years now, and it's probably one of the single most transformative things that I've been able to participate in. And my spiritual director, he knew that I had a day off. I was, I was in a paid ministry role. I was, I think it was like four or four and a half days a week. So I was able to have like a 12 hour waking period that I called my Sabbath and I didn't do any ministry related work. And I remember chatting to him about a bit of a challenge. Well, it was a significant challenge that I was working through my level of cynicism and my level of sarcasm was getting to the point where it was really hurting people around me. And it wasn't actually doing the job anymore. It wasn't working as a coping mechanism. Yeah. And he sort of suggested that what I might need was a Sabbath, knowing full well that I had a Sabbath in inverted commas. And I said, well, you know, I do have a Sabbath. And I remember he said to me, he said, no, you need a Sabbath where you take a break from trying to fix all that is wrong in the world. And I remember getting like really upset at him. <laughs> you know, he's he's familiar with the Enneagram and I'm familiar with the Enneagram and he knows that my bent is, you know, in the direction of reformation. All all I see is that which is wrong and I need to fix it. And when I get distressed, um, that becomes really nitpicky and really um like a you know, like a yappy dog biting it at person's heels. And he was right. So it wasn't just 
a Sabbath, but it was a very particular, a very specific directed Sabbath to me. So for me, and like, I don't know if this will mean anything to anyone other than other news junkies, but it was a day where I didn't read the news. It was a day where I didn't read books about, you know, things that were wrong, things that needed to be improved, things that needed to be fixed. Yeah. And it was a real struggle to, and still is, it's a real struggle to practice that kind of Sabbath where I deliberately say, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to try and make it right today. You know, God, if you really need someone to do that kind of thing, you're going to have to find somebody else today because I can't do this um, in an unending way. I'm not a machine. I'm a, you know, I'm a, a, a I'm an organic system and I need a, a you know, a time where I'm not producing, where I'm not contributing. So I think that's, yeah, that's, good. It, that's a long way of answering your question. You know, um, how do you start redeeming it? I think, um, you know, the, the first thing is renewal as being able to see, yeah. actually being able to see what is going on. I've got a, there's a fella, it's, it's a bit ridiculous, actually. He's probably, you know, one of the Southern hemispheres, um, heavyweights when it comes to spiritual formation my mm. spiritual director actually introduced me to him and yeah. we've, we've since become good friends and he talks about spirituality as the influences the things the unseen things that influence us for you know whether that be media whether that be our own you know our own childhood trauma our experiences growing up, what are the unseen things that influence us to the point where we act out on those things? So I think, you know, the first part of reclaiming renewal is what are the forces that are influencing me? What are the things that are acting upon me? The, 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 the ways in which I feel compulsed to act that are, um, are externally imposed upon me, but also internally. Mm. What are the, the the shoulds and the oughts? I'm not sure, you know, when we had that stint together in a formation group, I'm not sure if you heard me talk about that when, when no. someone, <laughs> you know, when someone's talking about themselves or their life or their experience and they say, oh, I should, I listen for that word should, mm. you know, I ought to. And I'll ask the question, where does that come from? Where is, you know, that should Whose voice was that? You know, was that your voice? Was that the voice of, um, you know, a, a friend that, um, you know, was part of a relationship that's broken down? Is that your parents' voice? Where is that should? Where is that ought coming from? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Yeah, so 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 being able to see um, the influences that are acting externally upon us, but also arising from within us, and 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 part of the ways of doing that is being still and and this is probably the third complication i have with the the question you know what does it look like for us to experience renewal in this season um to to quote a a mate of mine he said we need to retreat every day (laughs) yeah Um, no we need to retreat every day we need to retreat every week we need to retreat every month we need to down tools every day and be still and to stop producing to stop contributing so at the very least our anxiety around being producers and contributors we can see that and we can be about that and then once that 
you know, if we can sit there long enough, once we can move through that unease, um, then we can begin to see some things. But I, but I also understand it's really hard for people, particularly at this time, which, which probably means um, it's even more important that we do it. Yeah. I've, I've talked a lot, Ben. Look, you're a, you're an incredibly intelligent and insightful fellow. What, what are you thinking? As I've been rabbiting on, mate, what's, what's been banging around inside of you? Well, a couple of things that have kind of been highlighted from what you've been saying is probably there's a question underlying all of this where I go, do you think some of this, this sense and desire of need? So I'll, I'll say the question and then I'll share another couple of thoughts is, is does some of this production sort of stuff sit under this industrialized culture, you know, like in a world that is used to, you know, production lines that are producing things, you know, 24 seven to, you know, get the maximum value and efficiency out of them. Do you think that's something that's been a shift because of that, as opposed to potentially, you know, say our, you know, I guess very distant relatives who potentially more were in tune, you know, say with the land and, you know, letting the land lie and that not every day had to be as productive as others because some days was just sowing seed compared to other days that were, you know, digging the land. So there's a part of me that goes, is some of this a little bit of us being in an industrialized world and then applying that, you know, productivity and efficiency framework to ourselves. Mm. And then probably the other thought in all of this is, is it really feels like what you're kind of saying is that almost the first step to renewal is, is kind of undoing like ourselves and the systems that we find ourselves in the external, um, factors, the internal factors kind of sitting there looking at them, like you said, seeing it and then going, how do I undo some of these things, these compulsions, these ways of seeing these ways of thinking, these ways of living um, that either have been imposed on me by culture or by relationships or by just my own inner monologue. How do I, you know, undo them so that I can be prepared for the new thing that, that, you know, God is inviting me into something more than just my compulsive behaviors and attitudes. Mm. That's been, that's been what's kind of stood out to me in all of this. Yeah. I just, I just want to warn you to be careful with that first point. Um, our relatives aren't that distant. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. <laughs> yeah. So my, my, you know, my, my dad, um, you know, he was a, um, he was a goat farmer in, in Malta, you know, he finished school yeah. in well, I mean, my He's, grandfather was a was a yeah a farmer out in you know Wee War, New South Wales. So yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> so so perhaps not too distant, but um, but yeah, I, I think that we have we have definitely um, we, we are we are so disconnected from um, the actual rhythms of life. Um, and and I think this is where and it's another conversation altogether, but. The, the reason why the Australian Christian community desperately, desperately needs to be in dialogue and a learning dialogue with um, Australia's Indigenous people. Because um, what we're finding, particularly now, is that there's a whole bunch missing from, from our worldview, from our assumptions, from our, our value system. And I think, um, you know, whilst... I, I I never grew a beard through the whole kind of hipster thing. <laughs> there is there is something in hipsterism, this desire to want to be able to 
you know, fix, you know, repair your own things that have broken to, you know, the, the, the care and the consideration put into the way in which food is prepared. It's, it, 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 there's this human impulse towards, I mean, it's almost like this unconscious here. We are disconnected. How do we reconnect? And, and you see, well, certainly, I mean, that's kind of in my take, um, you know, the, 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 the better parts of hipsterism, um, this, this desire to, um, you know, I, I just don't want to throw stuff out all the time. Can I learn how to, to how to repair some of these things that mm. have been broken? A, a mate of mine, he was actually one of my old youth group boys. Um, yeah. He's now a dad. Um, he and I were chatting the other day and he was saying that his son, who's in year seven or year eight now, um, he said, you know, he's um, he's got a, a Polaroid camera, you know, one of the ones where you take a photo and the, yeah, yeah. the picture comes out the bottom and, um, he said he's collecting vinyl records and um, oh know, he, wow he's, and, and and it was interesting because my old youth group um, boy who's now a dad of a year seven year eight student is talking about how his children are, are acting against the sort of ephemeral nature you know the um, the the, the in, inconsequential, the insubstantial. They want something real. They want something concrete. They want to feel. They want to interact with. So, so I think that that uh, that reflection of yours is, um, yeah, like it's 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 quite an apt and an important one. Um, what was the second thing you said again? The second thing was just this idea. I, I get this sense, and the image that comes to mind for me is this kind of sense that part of the part of renewal is actually undoing mm. first before you can have that, that new thing or that renewed, you know, whatever it is that, that you want, the renewal that you're looking for mm. that actually, if you take away that consumptive um, framework and you actually really start thinking about it in terms of, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you know, do not be conformed to the patterns yeah. of this world. Um, you know, Jesus is knocking on your heart because actually you've already <laughs> kicked him out. <laughs> um, even though you thought he was right dead in the center, there's this, there's this sense of almost like you've got to undo some things to actually yeah. first even be ready for this idea of what's the new thing, the renewed thing that God is wanting to do in my life. So I guess, how do we, I think you kind of answer it with the stillness thing, but how do we do this whole undoing of ourselves? I think is such a, a challenge and a question for us because it's hard to undo some of the things that you've, you know, I'm just recently turned 29 and I'm sure there's some things in my life that um, I've been believing or uh, frameworks that I hold true to that have been that way for like 25 years. And it feels a little bit like, well, how do I undo what feels like such a, core part of myself um and the way that i've operated and you know the way that i've survived and navigated you know difficult seasons in life how do i how do i get myself ready and and willing to have that potentially undone so that i can experience i guess something new that god wants to potentially do in my life hmm. yeah again i mean that, those are some really precious reflections you've just made there mate because i think you know, if we talk, like if, if, if we just kind of launched straight into what does renewal look like, all we would have done is just continued to further um, appropriate renewal in a, in, a, in a consumptive way. 
um, you know, how do we use renewal as a vehicle to become more efficient, more productive? Yeah. So that when I can get back into the, the production consumption game, I can be better at it. Um, and uh, thinking about it in, in the terms that we've sort of been, um, you know, musing out loud about this morning, I, I, what I want to say, I want to say something, but then, because I tend to be the the pessimist in our <laughs> relationship, and I'm just listening to, I'm just wondering how would Lisa, my partner, state this, because I, I think the most effective path to transformation is pain. It's when um, in a relationship you thought was working, all of a sudden you realise it's not working. When you know when the other person in the relationship says, you know, this is not working for me, um, again, which is a consumptive statement. You know, when we experience betrayal, when we experience something breaking, our you know the coping mechanisms that we developed as children, which I think is quite remarkable, the fact that as little kids we can develop these incredible ways of protecting ourselves from significant pain. Yeah. Like that's 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 a miracle, you know, that's a that's a gift for little kids to be able to develop these capacities to to protect these really sensitive and vulnerable parts of them. But the problem is we get older and we keep practicing those coping mechanisms from childhood and they just they don't translate into adulthood. We need to come at them again. And um, again, you know, you know, I've been friends for a long time. I don't think this will, you know, catch you by surprise, but the, the, the singularly most helpful framework that I've found is um, the Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step approach. Actually, so my, my devotion, like my morning devotion and my, my devotion throughout the day, I basically practice the 12 steps. Mm. The first thing I need to acknowledge is that I'm an addict you know, as much as I would like to think I'm kind of this, you know, unique um, human being, I'm still a, a collection of addictive behaviours that I've picked up over the years. And those addictions have been formed in order to help me cope. And yeah. I still remember one of your great, great comments about this addiction thing, because I think it's a point that some of those people can sit and listen to and go, oh, I'm not an addict, is you go, our greatest addiction, I, th- I think this was you, you said, our greatest addiction is often to, you know, our own thoughts and opinions, you know, like mm. we just, we're addicted to, to our way of seeing things, um, mm. which always stuck out to me because as yeah. someone who's quite stubborn to what I think and believe, you know, mm. yeah, at the very least I'm an addict to my own thoughts, my own opinions. Mm. And, and it's different, you know, it, for each person it's unique. It's, it's different. I mean, there are some similarities, there are some patterns, mm. Uh, you know, there are also things like, you know, we're addicted to, to, to certitude. We, we're, we're addicted to control. I remember, you know, the first time I heard someone say, you know, the greatest lust in the world. And I, I finished that sentence in my head. I thought, I know where this is going. Um, and then they completed the statement. They said, you know, the, the greatest lust in the world is the lust for control. And I was like, I just need to walk away from that statement and reevaluate my whole life. <laughs> I've never thought about, yeah. you know, this white knuckled, I need to control everything as being the greatest addiction. Um, so, you know, the, the, the 12 step process, you know, beginning each day I'm, I'm addicted. And unless I 
figure out how not to be today, all of my reactions are just going to be. Um, and again, you know, you, you and I have been friends for a long time. I'm, I'm not just talking about the kinds of, you know, when, when we use the word addiction, most people fill in the blanks. Um, but, but I think, you know, we, we've talked about, um, you know, my addiction to learning biblical Hebrew and biblical Greek so I can be better. I can be a better, um, you know, a better teacher. Uh, you know, on the surface, most people would go, well, well, well done, you know, well done yeah. being committed to learning you know, dead languages. So, but, you know, I do it because if I can be a good teacher and if I can get the affirmation um, in response to that, then I can feel like I'm okay. Then I can feel like I'm doing a good job. You know, I'm addicted yeah. to be, you know, the first person to the church service and putting out the chairs and being the last one to leave. All, all of those things are addictive behaviours. Being able to see them. Because, um, I mean, you're going to see them one way or the other. You're going to see them when a relationship breaks down. You know, when the affirmation that you're desperately trying to seek from somebody doesn't come your way and you're just trying harder and harder and it seems to be getting farther and farther away from you. Mm. It's going gonna, it's gonna to break down... Um, at that point, like you're going to see it or sitting silently for five minutes in the morning, trying to think about how yesterday went, you know, using a bit of an Ignatian practice. Um, I did some writing last week and I found this old quote and it says, you know, when we look at what our life really consists of, we are terrified by its vast emptiness. Mm. And that's probably the biggest obstacle. Um, being able to honestly look at our lives and going, yeah, I really am a collection of other people's opinions and I'm a collection of um, addictive behaviours, but I don't know how to be anything other than. And I think really that's where the potential and the possibility for renewal begins because being able to lay down all of the things we, we believe that we have to do in order to, and then you fill in the blank for you. You know, so for me, in order for me to feel okay about myself, you know, in order for me to feel like um, there's not something wrong with me, I'm actually okay. You know, for others, you know, in order for them to feel the, the love and affection of others, you know, for others to feel as though um, they have some kind of, you can see what I'm doing. I'm just yeah, yeah. Around the Enneagram compulsions, yeah? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> One, that's right. Two, three. Um, <laughs> So it's going to come out one way or the other. It's either going to come out in the cut and thrust of, you know, I was trying to do it with good intentions, but I've hurt somebody or somebody else. So I've hurt somebody else or myself. Or it's saying, okay, I, I, I need to just grit my teeth, you know, yeah. drink a glass of wine if you need to, but I need to look at my life and what it consists of. And there's a really good chance I might be terrified by its vast emptiness. Mm. And that's like, there's just not a lot of that kind of wisdom tradition and wisdom culture in Australian culture. And consequently, there's not a whole lot of that wisdom culture, that wisdom tradition in the Australian church. I mean, you know, honestly, praise be to God, it's getting better. It's growing. Yeah. Um, you know, people are starting to, you know, we're sitting down having a conversation. We felt like this might be important for other people to hear. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and hopefully it is. But yeah, the beginnings of renewal, I think, um, uh, you know, for people 
having a having a first crack at it. I, I'd you know I'd strongly recommend you know the, um, Alcoholics Anonymous's twelve step. Um, and if you know if people are you know if if, if if anyone listens to this, I mean, if nothing else, I've had a, a, a good time chatting to you, mate. Yeah, same. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> Definitely left me some things to think about. <laughs> but, you know, if other people are listening to it and if other people are finding it helpful, um, um, there's an app that I use. I'm happy to, you know, shoot you the link and we can attach that to the... Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but there's also a book by um, uh, Richard Raw, the Franciscan. I think it's called... I think it's called breathing underwater. And I think that, yeah, the subtext is the spirituality of the 12 steps, you know, so people like I'd I'd sort of, I'd I'd sort of point people in that that direction if they're wanting to start to take their first steps in this. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. That's really good. Well, mate, I don't know if there's anything else that you really want to say, but I feel like that's been a, a pretty, um, thorough conversation around this idea of renewing and i think uh, a really helpful conversation around even reframing this word like when when we started and you said you were hesitant around the world renewal even for me i was like oh i wonder where this is going to take us but i actually think um this idea of renewal is one that even just in this you know time of conversation i've gone this sits really well with my understanding of how God is often at work in our lives in the sense that it's not uh, always just, you know, uh, a single moment where something big and powerful happens and we walk out of the room going, wow, you know, like Mm -hmm. I can love people now or, you know, Oh, look at me. I've finally got joy. Um, Mm -hmm. But actually the God so often does just, you know, just throughout the day or in our lives, just stop us and go, Hey, you know what? Like in that moment, there's, there's a different, there's a different way for you to respond there. You know, mm. I know that's how you've reacted in the past, but there's something different for you to do. And that actually, um, I think as we, we do that, we can see that renewal is, you know, a bit, it starts by undoing, but that God ultimately does want to then reform us, mm. you know, but it's, it starts with us being willing to let him first undo us mm. of all the things that we've been holding on to. I wonder whether, you know, if we sort of finish off with, something I learned from Lisa, my partner, and I, I learned, you know, I learned so much from her and I'm just thinking I should probably say that more often to her. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I um, have spent countless hours playing computer games and, you know, I love a good strategy game and the number of times where she's kind of, you know, walked through the room watching me and she sort of looks at me and says, this, is this, recreation and she deliberately says the word recreation as opposed to recreation mm-hmm. and you know her take is it's about being recreated in that moment yeah it's re you know recollecting recreating how do we recreate and i i, I tend to take a more um uh at the risk of alienating people here, mate, I tend to take a more Catholic view in my, in my, in my later years in my life, you know, God created and it was good. Yeah. It actually began good. Something happened along the way. And I often say to people, you know, when, I, when, when, when we, when we're in spiritual formation classes, when we, when I'm doing lectures, when we're having conversations and you talk about, 
the kind of generosity that makes you weep. You know, you tell stories about people who are incredibly generous and, and people are really moved by that. And I hear people say, I want to be that, you know, I want to be that person. I want to be that generous person. I want to be that altruistic person. And I say to them, we were, we were actually born that way. We see it in little kids, you know, little kids are so, yes, kids can be real mongrels, but at the same yeah. time, little kids can be incredibly altruistic, incredibly generous, incredibly selfless. It's not about becoming something we're not. It's about becoming once again who we were. Mm. And, and recreation is part of that. In those moments where we stop, we are recreating and we are becoming once again what we once were. It's, it's remembering what it was like. It's remembering what it felt like, remembering yeah. the mechanics of it when I did it. And yeah, that statement from my partner often um, terrorizes me when I sit down <laughs> and turn on the computer and want to start, you know, shooting things or blowing things up. Yeah. I can, like she's ruined my computer game playing. Does this recreate you? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. But yeah, I think that's a great question. Mm. What, what's recreating us mm. and how are we being recreated? It's good. Yeah. And I think, you know, Ben, it goes without saying, if, um, you know, if anyone actually does listen to our conversation this morning, you know me, mate, I'm, I'm always up for questions. If, if people... Yeah. Have, have heard something and they're thinking actually I you know how did, how might this work in this instance what what does that mean in in relation to my experience I'm, I'm more than happy to to field questions if you know people would find that helpful mate yeah definitely and we'll have I'll put some links in the show notes for ways that people can reach out and ask questions and get in touch if they do have questions or or things that they'd love to thrash out a little bit further and you know even if they have suggestions for us you know to dive mm. into a little bit more uh, in this podcast, we'd be happy to take any of those, um, those questions and, and, and topics from people uh, mm. as well. So that'd be great. Hey, thanks for, um, thanks for initiating this and thinking it through, mate. It's, um, it's been quite, uh, it's been, well, if nothing else, it's been wonderful just being able to see your face and talk about the things of life together. Yeah, definitely. I've very much enjoyed it. And I, like I've said before, um, I'm always a little bit selfish in this that I enjoy sitting and listening and, and asking my questions and feeling like, Oh, I'm helping other people by doing this. But you know, like maybe that's a little bit of my, you know, addiction that I need to let go of today. But, um, I'm, I'm really enjoying it too. So there's an old, an old friend of mine says if our, if our motivations can be 51% altruistic, Let's just, let's just call it a day. Right. Well, this is, I reckon I'm at 52% altruistic, so we'll pass it. We'll pass it. Fantastic. But no, thanks for that. Uh, Stephen, I've really enjoyed the conversation today and mate, I, I think that's going to really bless a whole bunch of people. Uh, yeah, thank who you too. To the podcast. Thank you too, mate. It's, 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 I think it's um, accurate to say it's been a two way street this morning. No, thank you. It's been good. Cool. Well, let's sign off. And, you know, if you've been listening, thanks so much for joining us. I hope it's been uh, really beneficial to you. Uh, check out the show notes for uh, any links and stuff that you were looking for. And um, thanks for joining us. And we'll see you again soon. So uh, catch you later. See ya. See ya.